Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the Paraconnection Podcast. Today on the podcast, we are picking up exactly where we left off at Cielo Drive. And as you may remember, we are now on episode two of the three-part miniseries. This time, we are going to learn about the supernatural aspects of Cielo Drive. David even shares some of his personal experiences and beliefs with us, which truly brings to light some intriguing facts and details. So with that being said, let's jump back in and experience the hauntings of Cielo Drive. And that's, that's how I approached the paranormal. Is Yes, I saw a ghost in the middle of the night at the foot of my bed 15 years ago. If it wasn't for the fact that my mother was dying of cancer at the time, and I had a predisposition from an experience my godfather had had some 25 years earlier when he lived next door to us, and he told me when he saw the apparitions in front of the foot of his bed some 20-some-odd years earlier and said that the first thing he saw were these two apparitions, amorphic apparitions, not even looking like people. He described two objects. One object had a, had a bulgeous type of a round head that was about a foot in diameter, round like a ball, and then connected on a bit below that, on top of what it was resting upon, was this kind of a similar type of a round type of a ball object, like a three foot, four foot type of a ball that was sitting on. That was one apparition. The other one, he said, it was more like an elongated egg on the top, and then a, the body, as he described it, was more of an elongated type of a um, of a apparition. It sat on top of what looked like a more of an elongated, like a body. And he says he saw that at the foot of his bed. He woke up and he saw that and he said, "Oh my God!" He says, "My aunt such and such had just died," and then went back to bed. Following morning, eight in the morning, he gets the telephone call. It's his cousin saying, Leonard, and such and such. He goes, just died. He goes, how did you know that she died? He says, I don't know. And then he says, I remember the dream the night before, waking up and seeing those two apparitions, and that's where it clicked, that they were there to tell me that she had passed away. So when I saw the apparition in my foot of my bed, I sat up and I said, okay, who, what's going on? My, did, did you tell, are you here to tell me that my mom died? Are you here to tell me that my girlfriend who flies, was flying with American Airlines, was killed in her European travel on doing the European route? I said, what, what, what? Curiosity overrode any fear that I had. And people were like, why would you scared you? I said, it's in my own home. I knew he wasn't, a, I knew he was a ghost. I could tell immediately because when I saw him, yes, he was life-size, but A, the alarm was on in the house, None of the, the alarm didn't trigger. Two dogs and my four cats were on the bed with me. They were sound asleep. So I knew that if it was a physical being that had walked in that house, they would have reacted like that. They were that type of dog. Those, the, those dogs were really guard dog types. Thirdly, when I looked at him, yes, he looked like a person, but his colors, the colors that he was made up of from head to toe were all in shades of gray meaning his hair was a charcoal gray. He was, I'll never forget, it was kinked, parted on the right to the left, and it was kinky. He was wearing a short lapeled suit with four buttons down both sides, 60s style. Uh, his the, the shirt was a powder blue. His 
gray. His tie was a dark blue gray. It was just like you could tell that he wasn't a person. He wasn't a flesh and blood person. And what's interesting is, is I'll never forget the room was dark. And, it, and as I remember from my classes in, 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 in high school, in, in an art class, that this teacher said something that stuck in my head. What you have to remember is, is when you're looking at art, always remember where's the source of light that's illuminating the object from? Is it above? Is it below? Is it from the front? Is it from the rear? And when I looked at him, he was the source of illumination from within. His whole body wasn't glowing like radiating energy. It was just he was illuminated from his whole thing. And it wasn't like he was transparent. It wasn't like he was wispy. It's like he was a full-bodied person who was just colored in colors that were, were muted of color, but blue and gray. And that was what the illumination was. And he just sat there three times and he pointed like this with his left, in, left arm extended, with his left index finger pointing. And at the time, up until about, um, about, about eight, nine, eight years ago, I kept on referring to Jay as pointing towards down the driveway which at the time, he, I mean, he actually was pointing towards the driveway going downhill. As it turns out, he wasn't pointing towards the driveway. He's pointing towards the property next door that had been vacant for the past, however, you know, forever. It was never, there was never a house on there, just like my property, never a house on there. He was pointing towards a construction site that wasn't going to have ground, ground broken for eight years. Wow. What's funny is, is when you talk about construction, most houses on the hillside are built on something called a step foundation, which means you have the slope of your hill here, you drill your caissons into the ground, which are these three foot diameter holes that they pour concrete and put rebar reinforcing all the way in and they drill them into the bedrock to secure and anchor the, the foundation so that then you put your foundation and you're on your slope, you have your foundation going like, like, like steps. And then you put your wood going up and you build your floors off of the step foundation. That's not what they did next door. They literally went, took the hillside like this, went straight down 70, I think it's like 60 feet and took the entire mountain out, bulldozed it, just removed the whole entire hillside and built a concrete retaining wall that's 70 feet long, that goes down 60 feet and developed a concrete flat pad and built a concrete house. That type of construction, which is so insane and so expensive. And when you start to, when I started to think about that, I, most people go, oh, 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 whatever. I said, no, 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 no. There's so much more layers to that experience that people don't really pay attention to. And I said, wait a second. There were a great many things that I also gained insight to from that experience. What I realized when I found out who it was that I saw was the, one of the victims from the end of the driveway. Part of the reason why I didn't recognize him, his hair. His hair was kinked. I had only seen pictures of Jay Sebring with straight hair because it was big in the 60s. 
The second thing was, he wasn't wearing those god-awful striped jeans he was wearing when he was killed. So again, when I saw it, when I when I saw the pictures of the crime scene and I saw I remember seeing Jay in those striped jeans, he wasn't wearing those striped jeans. He was wearing a, a period a period styled double-breasted suit that had nothing to do with his murder and what he was wearing the time of the murder. Hmm. His murder, Sam stop. And um, he um, was also pointing towards a piece of real estate that hadn't yet been touched. So there's a few things that demythologized that I got that I did away with in the theory of the paranormal and the spirits. Whatever you're wearing when you die, you're not gonna wear when you're when you're watching when you come back as a spirit. He didn't have any of the telltale sign wounds that he showed when he was killed. Meaning he didn't have any gunshot wounds, he didn't have anything. He was spotless. He wasn't a decomposing corpse like you've seen in the movies, like an American werewolf would love them. When the spirit would come back, they'd be a little bit more, you know, decomposed than the last time. He didn't look like the way he died, so that means that when you die, it doesn't matter how you die. You could go through a gosh darn fish into a uh, tuna, what is it, tuna processing plant and be canned. You're not going to come back as a case of gosh darn floating star kissed tuna as an apparition. <laughs> Thirdly, and most importantly, something about knowledge of the future. And if he could do that eight years before the construction, before the property was even sold and show me this and tell me this, and he had knowledge of this, means that our whole understanding about what's happening present day is totally fraught with wrong. I mean, it's totally fraught with, with, with inaccuracies. And the fact of the matter was this, I realized, that if somebody is psychic and we have psychic experiences and we see things that are going to happen in the future, what we perceive as the future means that it's all been played out before. Yeah, the old saying goes, as Shakespeare famously said, we are but players upon a stage that have our entrances and our exits. It's all been done before. So we're basically, whether we like it or not, my belief is we are going through the motions, whether we think we're just, this is organically happening, might not be the case. Might be that everything that we're going through has already been played out before, and we're just basically going through it unbeknownst to us that this has all happened, and we are just going on the, going by our script, and our entrances and our exits are and our cues already been figured out so that this quote-unquote free will storyline is not exactly much but a storyline that people have to say as a placebo to make themselves feel better that has absolutely no basis in truth you know that when you're saying oh my god i hope they're at peace they're not going to be relegated for eternity to be like sharon holding her clutching her pregnancy and this and that and the grotesqueness of her demise are not gonna be something that they're reliving over and over and over again. Because you guys, we all, at least I've heard that from so many people saying, oh my God, they're still reliving their, their deaths. It's like, what cruel insinuation would that be to say that 
you're stuck in a loop, an endless loop of you're reenacting your, your death. It's like, no, I don't believe that. I think that's great for Hollywood and for, for theatrics and books and in fiction, but in all practical purposes, I don't think the universe is such a cruel place in that regard that that your demise of how you exited your physical presence on this earth are going to be your, as you say, your demise for the rest of your eternal life. That you're, as they as used to go, your your soul be damned to repeat this forever. And you're not cursed. I don't believe that. I, and thank God for my experiences here. I have nothing to even relate to making that possibly true or accurate. So, David, along with that theory, how do you feel about deja vu? Does that correlate think, at all? Yeah, I think that it, I was thinking about that. I was going to say that deja vu makes 100% sense when you think about it. You know, the things I know I've been thinking, yeah, you kind of have. <laughs> it's the whole thing. When you think about it, it's just, it's like I know I've been here before. It's like, well, kind of, sort of, it has taken place. And it makes, it does make a little bit more sense to deja vu. Then, then the idea that you know, you're seeing this in the future, and it's like, well, yeah, yeah, it is, but it's already happened. That's why you can have that experience. I mean, I personally had an experience um, 30 years ago now, wow, when I had this lucid dream. And it, we've all had dreams, but very, very seldomly are we in a position to be in a dream where we see ourselves in the dream from the third person omnipotent looking down like a director in a director's chair, looking down at the actors, but you're not only in the director's chair watching, you're watching yourself and somebody else that you know in a familiar place go through and in, go through talking and stuff, and you're like watching, and then you're watching the scene unfold, and you're like, wow, that's interesting. And then I woke up, I was like, oh my God, that was just too real. So I wrote down the story. I told a friend of mine who was a psychology student, and I said, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to write this gosh darn story that I'm telling you down right now. I said, you have to. I said, I can't be the only one that's got it. No one will believe me. So she wrote down the story, and I told her in detail, and she said, okay, I got it. I said, good. Lo and behold, six months later, the dream came to fruition, exactly as I had seen it in my dream, from above, the location, spot on, from point to point. Everything in the dream was exactly as, I, as, it, as it played out. And what's interesting, people had said to me, well, you created, you manifested that thing. I was like, yeah, you might want to say that. The problem was, is I was not in contact with that individual that I was friends with for the prior three months before the dream and not till six months, so nine months from the so nine months from the last time I saw that person to the next time I saw them with that three-month period after the, you know, six-month period after the dream, there was no connection. So what took place in that dream, which was pretty explosive and pretty, to me, un, un, unparalleled, took place. And I was like, well, I called my friend. I said, it happened. She goes, what do you mean what I said? I said, I'm just flipping out. I said, I looked over my notes of what I wrote down from that dream that I told you about. I said, get it out of your gosh darn freaking state. And I told this and put it in a safe place. And she goes, I put it in my little wall safe. I said, great, get it. And I told her and she read the thing and she goes, she goes, we have to have a meeting. I said, okay. She said, and she goes, I want you to go through it. She goes, I don't believe what, I, what you just said. I said, say it again. 
And she says, and then she read back to me what she had written down. She goes, it's exactly what you said happened. Identical. I said, yeah, that's what I have on this thing. So she had the documents, her version. I had my version. All was the same. Which wow. goes back to saying what Jay said when I found out, you know, 20, you know, some 20, some 15 years later when that incident took place with Jay and then the, the construction, it was like, each one of these things is leading you back to the same conclusion. It's it's the reality of the situation. Wow. Yeah. That's something else, David. I, I mean, it's like on a whole nother level of understanding not only the paranormal, but as as you said, just organic life as it is. Yeah. You know? and, and, and most people don't do that. I mean, I was a private investigator. Like I mentioned, I had a company that did private investigations for people, and I used my gifts to figure things out. But when I started to look at that from a point standpoint where people say, like to make these myths, and they say, well, this is this. And I said, well, take that myth further down the line and play that line out and see if it works. And then they, but it can't. It's like, exactly, there's where your myth fails. And he goes, why? Because people want to give you a myth that fits nicely into this little box. But when you take it out of that box and you start playing it down further and saying, well, if that's true, then this must be true, then this must be true, then this must be true, and it all falls apart, the theory goes to, to tell in a handbasket. But with what I'm saying, it, it, holds, it holds straight through across the whole board. And you start saying, crap, that's what we as, as paranormal investigators don't want to do. We don't want to go to a little bit of more thinking outside the box about saying well here's your theory let's go down further and see how that carries out and that's what science is about it's not just the application of the theory to this yeah that works great for that but does it transfer across the board if it doesn't then the theory doesn't have much weight and people can't stand that and him and is like but i'm playing the devil's advocate because you guys are so happily well well suited with that's it that's it i found it this, it's, it's, it's here, I got it. It's like, okay, let's take that and let's play around with it. And once you do that, critical thinking comes away and says, well, doesn't exactly hold water. It's like, yeah, <laughs> doesn't hold water. You know, along with all of your stories here, David, Ryan and I were just recently looking into like the actual land of your home, the hillside, and there's a lot of allegations of unmarked burial sites of Native American activity. Is that true or? No, just, boy, I, I almost forgot all about Mr. Zach Baggins. <laughs> what, what, what haven't you said? Where'd you, where'd you hear that from? Oh, that's right. That's right. The movie Poltergeist from Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I quote Craig Harris, Craig um, Nelson, Craig T. Nelson. You move the, <laughs> you move the headstones, but you left the bodies. You freaking left the bodies. As he's telling his, his coordinator from the, from the whole, you know, the whole project out there in that, that suburbia. That's BS myth horse crap. Let's be honest here. We're going to go down another little tangent about burial sites. Burial sites, for the most part, and I'm not talking about Native Americans who the ceremonial, the, the ceremony and the, the connection to that is different than Western civilization. It's basically a repository for earth, for your physical remains. That's it. A graveyard, a cemetery, be it a churchyard, or what is it? A great, I'm trying to think this. Graveyard is, 
is supposed to be that's connected to a church and a cemetery cannot does it doesn't is not connected both are basically repositories for your earthly remains that's it it's like when you go you heard like a car graveyard yeah where they cars that are basically dead and no longer functioning and they put them there the soul of that car died when that car was left the owner that said i can't this is done and in the same sense as i relate in the book about the experience of seeing my mother's you know body at her house when she died uh 15 years ago that it was a surreal experience i got a call from my dad at 10 minutes to 7 on the the second on this first day of spring and he says your mother just died and um uh, she was dying of cancer of pancreatic cancer but it wasn't expected because she wasn't you know, she died of a heart attack in her home so i motored on over there and got there about 10 15 minutes later after she had passed and i walked into the house and the house was all illuminated with candles and i said what gives with the candles in the house they said not and then they said oh when mom died all the electricity went out in the house and i was like holy crap oh no 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 i later found out forget the house all over west la there was a power outage the second she died I said that's why the whole streets and all the the stoplights coming over from my my from here 3 miles west were out the street lamps were out when the houses were all dark and stuff and I was like holy crap and I went into the into the master bedroom in the house where I grew up and she's sitting there frozen and I'll never forget it she's frozen in motion like this like and I'm looking at her and I'm staring at her saying Oh my god. She's she's bathed in light in from candles that were lit in that the illuminating the room and I'm looking at her and I'm thinking to myself and the first thing I do I had to I had to put my hand on her outstretched arm which was like on her forearm and I just touched it it was cold as ice and it had this weird as I said the texture the feel it was it was like the like the a, a quarter of an inch of of suppleness and then it was just hard frozen rock and i touched my recoil back and i said that's not my mom and i'll never forget i said i said to my to my mom and the nurse that was there I said and i mean to my dad and the nurse that were there I said that's not my mom i said my mom is not that that's her shell I said the energy, the power, the person, the passion, the the strength, the being that I knew that was my mom was no longer there. And it was like everything just crashed across the across the uh the forebrow of my head and it was like rip off the mask of everything you thought you knew. This is it. Cuz she said to me she goes when you're dead you're dead. She goes you're not coming back. But she meant as a zombie. She also meant as a ghost cuz she wasn't big on ghosts. But she said when you're dead you're dead. When that's when your body when your spirit leaves your body, that's it. It's over. There's no more to it. There's no thing about vampires, your fear of the dark, your fear of zombies, your fear of Frankenstein, your fear of the of the of these different types of creatures and things that you've believed in and been fearful of. It all just evaporated almost like gone 
And it was like the reality set in and said, you know something? This is it. She's not here. Her spirit is gone. And then I started to say, I said to myself, because I hadn't met Dr. Taft yet. And any of that, I didn't get to get into the, the paranormal psych, paranormal scientific aspects of it that Barry turned me on to later on and, and discussed with me and, and, and enlightened me about. But I made up my own judgment saying, you know something? That's death, man. And it couldn't have happened in a much more poignant and strong way to be in her house where I grew up, where she was in her master bedroom, where I'd been many, many times before in my lifetime, and she's frozen like that. I started to realize that the whole thing about the paranormal is a lot of hooey and ha ha, meaning being afraid of going to graveyards. Why? What do you What do you think that somebody's going to pop up out of the ground and going to come? Because like no, I realize that that's all bull. That's movie making. That's fiction. Reality ain't close to even coming to that. And I said, wow, she's no longer here. It's like, I, 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 it just felt like, like, this is the thing. This is it. This is it. This is your mortality staring you back in the face and stop being afraid because afraid of what? We're all going to pass from the spirit. No one will live forever. That's our, that's our mortal coil that we have to deal with and have to figure out how do we come to grips with this, what we have and how to make the best use of our time while we are here for who knows however long we are. But to be not so much worried about, oh, the afterlife and, oh, I want to go to paradise. It's like, no, 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 no. You do what's good because it's right. You do for others because it's, in, it's part of you. You can't be I, 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 I. It's about helping others because that's interaction. It's an interchange. It's not all me. Those people that I remember as a kid being, well, I'm wealthy and I got this and I have that. Look at me. Look at Who cares, man? At the end of the day, it's going to be a pile of freaking dust that you'll amount to in a damn box buried in the ground or in a gosh darn urn. And to sit there and to be so self-indulgent and so grandiose about it, it's all me. It's like, where do you where do you have any empathy or compassion towards others because there's no give and take it's all take 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 and i said you know something i hate those people i resent those people those braggadocious people that are like well look how much i've got it's like good for you don't go sit on top of the mountain with all your toys and drop dead alone and be miserable because that's what you will get nothing you will gravitate in a in an orbit around those people who are selfish as you and don't care less about you, but just about what they have for themselves and how much they can brag about it. And I also started to realize that when your body and your spirit separate, that's it. The body is the body, no more with the energy and the soul. The soul goes there. So at that moment that death hits upon us, it's cut. You're there. You're no longer the body. So when you take the body, and a week later, you have the funeral, and that body's put in the ground. The spirit's no longer near that body. The spirit is no longer tethered to that that, that vehicle by which it exi existed inside of. And the theory that, you know, graveyards are full of dead you know, spirits, it's like, not as many as you would like to believe, because it's the repository for the remains. 
that which remains, not that which was the energy inside of it. And when later on, a few months later, when I was working on the movie and I got to meet Barry Taff, he said to me, he goes, you know, the least haunted places on the earth are graveyards. And he says, with the exception of, the, with a few exceptions, like a, um, an, a location where a battlefield graveyard is, basically killed on the spot and then turned into the earth, that type of a thing, because there's no connection to the body and the soul to that location. Why? Because, as he said to me, the body goes into the ground, it's, it's reposed into there, the spirit's not sitting there looking there, spending eternity watching that your, your body decompose. Again, what a horrific way to spend eternity, having to sit there and to watch your decomposing, rotting, mortal remains dis, you know, disintegrate. And why should that be? And he says, if you weren't familiar with the place when you were alive and you didn't work there, why would you be there? You don't go, unless you were somebody like the character from Harold's Mod, who was very much a death hag, who, who wanted to go to funerals and you spent lots of time at Forest Lawn Cemetery or whatever cemetery, and we're pining over your, you know, saying, I can't wait. There's no reason for you to have a connection to it. Their spirit, because they did this when they were alive, and it was part of their daily routines, they might come back to there to be mourning. You're, you're at your grave site still. Yeah. Kind of like the, mor the mourner, the famous mourner of Rudolph Valentino called the Lady in Black, who basically on the anniversary of Valentino's death would go back to his grave site and put a red rose on his, on his tomb and then leave. And they said that that, his, that was his, um, his lover or his wife that would do that. And since that time, there have been tons of reports of a lady in black who would appear at Valentino's grave as an apparition, putting a rose on his tomb and then evaporating. That has some credibility to it because that mourner could not let go of him when he died while she was mourning him and continually going back there. That was part of her routine. So for that spirit, it's a familiar place that she was going back to, to re-honor him and still in death. Even though he's, he's also a spirit, in her mind, she's still re-exhibiting the same attributes that she was partaking in when she was alive. That would be making plenty of sense. But like I said, most places on the planet are haunted, meaning any place that somebody lived, died, played, loved, worked, fought, whatever, those are places that are indelibly imprinted upon that person's spirit. And they're coming back to return to the place they were. Um, there's a, uh, a place in Hollywood called, I think I was trying to think, was it, I forget the name of it. It was an old schoolhouse. It was the first elementary school in Hollywood that was built in like 1910. And it's on Hollywood Boulevard. And they took the building and they moved it back 50 feet from where it originally stood in Hollywood on Hollywood Boulevard to accommodate the two new buildings that were built on both sides because it was a historic landmark. It was called Jane's House. And I went there probably about 10, maybe 12 years ago. And it was turned into a nightclub. First time I go there, and I'm walking through, and I somehow managed 
to get to the managers, to the managerial department, which is on the second floor, and got into the, got in access somehow to that part of the, the um, schoolhouse. And I went in there, I was talking to some of the people that work there, and it's about 11.30 at night, and I'm talking to one of the girls that's there, and I said, okay, and I looked around, I said, there's a guy, and I see him, he's walking up the stairs, he's walking over this way and this way, and he's walking to the window, and he's beaming, he's looking out the window, and he's turning and looking, and he says, it doesn't look right. And I said, he's really, really, really upset, and he's, he knows that I can pick him up, and I can see him, and I can, under, I can, I can connect with him, and he's telling me, he goes, it doesn't look right. He goes, it's all wrong. He goes, it's all wrong. And she goes, is this, and, you know, who's your, and the run of David, and she goes, how do you know any of this? And I said, he's here, he's telling me. I said, I see him walking this half and going right to there and looking out the window and he's pointing out the window this isn't right and she says to me she goes is you, you seriously this is right? I said I don't know anything about this place and she goes we hear the footsteps walking up the stairs walking that path that you're pointing out and I said well that's who this is and I said apparently he's an old he's somebody that worked here many years ago and he's complaining about this doesn't look right. He's pissed off. And she says, you've never I said no. She goes, they moved the building back 50 feet from where it was standing originally to take. And I said, right, now, now I understand. Now I understand where he's coming from. And I can relate to him saying, they moved the building. That's why it doesn't look the same. I said, modernization of the, of the you know, it's, you're lucky this building is still here. And she was like, You've seen me. It's like, yeah, I can see you. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. And it was like, I said, they moved the building. He was like, why? Why didn't I said I, I, I had to go and explain to him because in the modern era, instead of tearing it down because it was a landmark, they moved the building back. And he goes, well, I don't like it. I think it sucks. I said, well, I apologize. I had nothing to do with it. I said, you should be thankful and grateful that I'm able to give you this information to settle your spirit and calm you down so you're not frustrated anymore, so you're aware of what had happened. At which point he says, well, thank you. I appreciate that. That helps. Yeah, like I said, I just don't, I don't play the, the typical, oh, my God, it's a ghost. Oh, God, get out of here. So what? I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can see this, but here's an example. I'll show you. Right there, right there, you see that? That's one of my cameras that I have. One of the 19 cameras I have in the house. They run 24-7, 365, have great reception, got good audio, got good video. Um, they have infrared capabilities. And what's crazy is I stopped doing the... Let's review the footage from the day. <laughs> oh, God, I did that for the first three months. Are I you serious? Like, oh, God, yeah. I, I, I burnt. I burnt so hard. I was like, on. You want to join the team and hard. review our footage? <laughs> I hate reviewing footage. I, I think everyone does. <laughs> there's no point. It's so. I mean, if I sat there and I did it, it's like, okay, there's another voice. All right, there's another one. All right, there's another. There's, and it's not like, la, 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 la. It's like, what are you doing? I'm here. I'm here. And I'm like, of course you're here. I asked you to show up. What's with you? Of course you're here. <laughs> I didn't need confirmation, but thank you. I mean, it's that. It's like I find. I find that I can literally. 
won't be looking for stuff as much as I used to. I mean, when I have people here and something happens, it's like, I say, if you're in the house and something happens, write down the room, write down the time, and write down what it is I'm looking for. Because I have friends that come and say, I just heard a voice. It's like, all right, what's wrong? What time? Let's review the, and it's like, bam. No, okay. And they're like, who the, was that? And it's like, and they can't handle the fact that I'm like, well, eh, big deal. And they don't like that because the truth is, is where you guys are, there could be spirits. And the idea that, you know, is to go back to the, the starting point of this, Sharon just said, she goes, idiot, you gotta go back to answering the questions about Zach and the Native American ceremonial burial ground. <laughs> because that's where the started. She goes, there's where the inception of the question was, and you're way over here behind you. And you gotta bring it on back to that, she said. The point is, is that Baggins goes for the lowest common denominator. He goes for drama, for fear, for religiosity's sake, for stuff that that is is hyperbolic bullcrap. If, if you want to make a movie and you want to scare people, that's great. It's fiction, remember, it's fictional. For the factual stuff, it doesn't really play out. It's great for entertainment purposes. For television, they love the drama, they love the scare, they love the fright, but it's not real. I'm the only one that will say, yeah, but, but, but that's not entertaining. Oh, no, it is entertaining. It's not the same crap that everybody has been playing out around in the paranormal field, but I don't need to be part of that, which is all this creation of fear, because I live it, and I don't experience any of it, and I laugh at what these guys are purporting to state. And the story that Baggins was saying was, based on this experience, Lisa Williams, the famous psychic, had been here 2006 we did Ghosted Hunters and she came out like literally a couple of weeks after the show aired. I get a call from somebody and it's like, this is Lisa Williams. And it's like, Lisa Williams. And she goes, yes, yeah, so Lisa Williams. You know, I said, oh, the psychic. Said, yeah, I saw you on Ghost Adventure or Ghost Hunters. And I want to see your house and I want to experience It's like, okay. <laughs> come on over, we'll have drinks. And he says, just come on over. I said, but I said, you can't bring your camera through. You can't do this to exploit this for your TV show. Because at the time she had the Lisa Williams experience. I said, no, if you want to see the house, I said, come on. I said, but I'm not going to open it up so you can come here for free to shoot your show, an episode. And she goes, no, I just, I'm personally curious to see because I saw the episode and I'm fascinated. I said, come on. So she comes over and um she's all a five foot tall and she's this short well i mean she's she's like she's like the woman from poltergeist oh man <laughs> it reminded me of that not this not so much of the appearance of but the size and that type of a look yeah and it was like going huh i said so you're lisa williams i said okay i'm not here to judge so she comes in and she probably came in maybe 20 feet sat at the, the top of the of the dining room, which is two steps into the living room, and she turns to the right, and she looks at my bar, and she goes, oh, do you know you have a big party in your in your, in your your den area, in your bar? And I'm like, and I start squinting and going like, like looking like, what the hell is she saying? And I said, um, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I don't see him. She goes, oh, she goes, that's okay. She goes, I see Sharon, I see Jay, I see Rudolph Valentino, 
I see some other people I don't recognize. And she goes, I also see some Native Americans in, in, in a circle talking amongst themselves and in the far, in, a little further back in that room. And I'm going, <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell, huh? And she, I said, I said, oh, and she goes, oh, they want me to tell you that they so appreciate you allowing them to stay during stay here. And this is my response. I'm like, huh? I said, what are you doing? I said, I said, well, I said, Lisa, far be it from me. I said, I've seen the murder victims crime scene photos at the LAPD. I said, I know it was a tragedy. I said, far be it from me to add insult to injury to them who died that way down the street from my house in 34, 30, you know, 36 years earlier. I said, I am not one to make people's afterlives hell on this earth. I said, I can't. And I wouldn't be a human if I, I wouldn't be me if I didn't have a moniker of respect and empathy for them. And I said, as far as the rest of them are concerned, I said, um, that's okay. I said, it's no, no sweat off of my back. I mean, because that's my personal, that's my attitude. Oh, so what? You mean saying, sure, what can I do? I'm very, I'm very much, how can I be of service to others more than to, vice versa? And she said, she goes, well, that's why they like you. They really appreciate your, your willingness to allow them to say, I said, I said, well, Lisa, please. I said, furthermore, I said, I'm not gonna live forever. I am far from immortal, last I checked. So when I die, what do I want to do? Run to appear upon the scene on the other side and have the spirits go, hey, hey, guys, come here. There's David on <laughs> You remember him, how he kicked us out of his house all those years ago? And I said, I don't want to get my ass kicked on for eternity. However long I last this plane of existence, to have them sit there and, and roust me. And she I said, I said, I'd rather have them welcome me with open arms as a friend whenever I make it to their side of the coin than to worry about what I've just padded myself for the rest of my eternal life or existence. And she says, well, that's really, she goes, that's a real refreshing approach to things. I said, that's me. I can't help it. I can't make this shit up. I said, that's just how I perceive things. I have always been one that just doesn't take it on the surface. I always have to look around in different different points of reference to gradiate what it is that somebody else's perception is. Because we all know we have our perception. But it's so far and few and few and far between that we will allow ourselves to say, you know something? Forget what I feel. How's it to be in their shoes? Mm -hmm. How's it to be in their shoes or their shoes or their shoes? That's what's more important is to understand that it's not about what you think, it's about what others feel and how they perceive that situation that you're in the midst of. And I said, you know something? That's who I am, and I can't help it. I've always been quirky about the questions I've asked and, and the perceptions I've seen because nobody likes to play that. I said, but I have to because it makes better sense for me to understand how things work in the whole totality of our existence. And she said, well, that's really healthy of you. I said, well, thank you. So we walk through the house and we go down to the third level and we go in the earthen wall room and she looks up in the, in the left corner of the, of the mound of the hill under the house and she goes, do you know there's a Native American is, who, and his horse that are interred in this mound of earth under the house right here? 
And I said, what? And she says, yeah. He was riding on his horse on what is now the driver, which was a horse path that led, out, led down to the end of the driver, which was the plateau that looked down upon the, the canyon below. And his horse lost its footing, and he and the horse went tumbling down the hillside, and both horse and rider broke their necks. Wow. And um, she said, she said, well, his remains, the horse and his remains, you know, got stopped by a tree, and there's a tree stump right there, what's left of it. And it's probably about a foot and a half, almost two feet in diameter of what's left of the tree that was there that we cut down when we built the house. And she goes, well, through the years, his remains disintegrated and were covered through the, the mudslides that came down across the hillside. Yeah. I said, so she says, he was interred in the earth. He goes, but he's very much here and he, over, he oversees the house. And I'm like, okay. That's and again, this is the first time this is ever told to me. So I'm like, all right, fine. So I'm just taking this with a grain of salt. And then I started to think after she left saying, you know something? Let's test this theory. If what she said is true, keep it under your hat. Don't say, don't publicize it. Don't mention it to anyone. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell, mention it on a TV show or talk shows. Just keep it as a secret of the house. And let's just see how many people that are gifted come into the house and go into the room and make commentary about this individual. Well, it wasn't long after that we had people come in and different psychics. I think James Von Prague came in a few years later with Larry King Live. Uh, Marianne Winkowski, I met the original Real Life Ghost Whisperer. Um, Jackie Barrett from America's Psychic Challenge, the second runner-up, um, made mention of it. Chris Fleming came back after Ghost, Ghost Hunters. And he mentioned this about this and that, and I started saying, oh my God, every, these people are now saying this. And I said, Lisa, again, didn't put this in a, a blog because there weren't blogs back then, and it wasn't publicized, and it wasn't like she had, was on Twitter. There wasn't Twitter. So it wasn't like, I went to the Omen House, so I had to do that. This was kind of like, in her case, was kept under wraps which is important to this telling of the story. So it's not like Lisa Williams, James Von Park, Chris Fleming, Marion Winkowski, Jackie Barrett, and all these different psychics were in this like little club, and each one of that Lisa's telling us to the club to inform everybody in the paranormal field. Yeah. It was the opposite, it was kept under wraps. So I said, this is getting strange, because everybody's coming up with the same type of there's a Native American, and Von Fogg was the one that went in there and said, there's a Native American in this in this mound of earth, and I don't feel very good. He walks out. He's just like, I'm out of here. And I'm like, well, what? <laughs> All right. I do believe that's another episode wrapped up. You know, with everything David has experienced and overcome, like, truly, I'd say there's quite the story behind Cielo Drive. And if you're still intrigued, then be sure to stay tuned for the third and final episode of the miniseries. But until that time, if you would like to follow or contact us, be sure to type in PILT Paranormal in Google, and you'll be able to find all of our outlets that we are connected to. Well, as always, we would like to thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, stay frosty. <laughs>